KV Mart stores are rooted in the communities we serve, and we are connected to the land in the same way our customers are. Whether you're an urban farmer, backyard chicken aficionado, traditional rancher, or anything in between, we offer just the right mix of homesteading, outdoor adventure, DIY, yard and garden, outdoor and workwear, husbandry, livestock, and pet supplies. Whether you're a dabbler or all in, we're here to help and strive to offer a range of products that will meet the unique needs of our customers. PV Mart will always be there with the tools, equipment, indoor or outdoor wares, seed or feed, for everyday work, fun, or connecting to the land on a whole new level. For more information, go to pvmart.com. Hi, I'm Ian Sherwood. As a songwriter and musician, I've traveled through countless small towns, heard incredible stories, and witnessed some of the amazing ways in which people in towns and cities across this vast country have woven their lives into the land they live on. It's made me think about the way I interact with my own environment and the natural world, where my family's food comes from, what impact I'm having on the planet, and what we're all leaving behind for our kids to inherit. So now I'm on a mission to learn about how I can tap back into the essence of where we all come from. Today, with so much at our fingertips, it's easy to lose sight of the most important connection we have. Welcome to Connected to the Land. When you look out your back window or any window in your home and you peer into your yard, what do you see? Do you see plants and trees? Well, what do you think when you see them? Are they the usual fare you'd expect to see in your neighborhood? Is there anything unusual? You know, when I drive around our city with my family in tow, a common refrain out of the blue is, hey, look at that beautiful burning bush, or what kind of huge tree is that? And a palm tree in downtown Dartmouth, huh? You know, the reaction of experiencing a plant or tree that's a little out of the ordinary is a visceral one. We humans, we love our botanical gardens, our flower beds, exotic species, but why is that? What is so special about greenery that seems out of place? Is there something awakened in us when we find ourselves in the presence of a strange species of plant or tree? I wanted to know more, so I called up Banana Joe Clementi, a horticulturalist and YouTuber on Salt Spring Island on the west coast of Canada. We chatted about his love of exotic plants, got a little lost in the swirl of Latin palm tree names, and I learned a little bit about gorse tea and dandelion coffee. Banana Joe, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. You're more than welcome. It's a pleasure. This is going to be this is going to be great. I'm very excited to talk to you. You live in one of uh, my favorite parts of the country. You're out on the west coast, uh, on Salt <laughs> Spring Island. I've never actually been to Salt Spring Island. I've been to Vancouver Island many many okay. times, out to Tofino and all all around the the island, mm, but never to Salt Spring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful out there. Um, but And we'll get to that in a second. But first, and and forgive me if this is a bit of a, a softball question, but I, I have to know because we've just met. Where did the name Banana Joe come from? I'll tell you the story. So back when I was in high school, you know, I had a social teacher that called me Jungle Joe just because I had long, messy hair. But right. the funny thing is, so uh, my mom and dad bought here in 1978 on Salt Spring. So I've been coming since I was 14 years old. I'm, I just turned 58. And, uh, you know, I've always grown exotic plants, palm trees and exotic plants. That's just the way I've gardened. So uh, back in the 1990s, I guess it was the winter of 19, maybe 97, something like that, 96. It might have been 96. There's, there was a weather observer here and he used to do, you know, write-ups for the paper when, you know, there's a weather anomaly. And we had a lot of snow that winter. 
And in his write-up, he says, I wonder how Banana Joe's Tropical Garden's doing on Banana Joe Clemente's Tropical Garden's doing on the north end of Salt Spring. And then it stuck. That was me he was referring to. And I just remember the next day I went to town. Hey, Banana Joe. People started calling me Banana Joe. And that's where I got the name from. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Were Were you growing bananas at the time or is it just... Absolutely was. I, I introduced oh, yeah. them to Salt Spring Island. So about three decades ago, I introduced a species of banana to Salt Spring Island. It actually grows outside. It's called Musabaju, Japanese fiber banana. And there are hundreds of people here that grow bananas. Wow. No lie. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. how do they differ from a banana we might get at like Costco or, or your local grocery store? Okay. So they're native to, well, actually, I think they were introduced into Southern Japan eons ago, but they say they're native to the Ryukyu Islands like Okinawa. Okay. And they're actually grown as we grow hemp for fiber to make paper or clothes. So they're a Japanese fiber banana. The fruit really is not palatable, but the flowers you could use in a stir fry, like a flower pod. So they're used for making paper and clothes So oh. and grown for ornamental beauty. That's what they are. They're grown for ornamental beauty. They get a lot of bananas on them, but you know, they're not really good for eating. No. Okay. Uh, that's, that's too bad. Cause they seem to grow very well out there. They do. Uh, yeah. Well, so you say you've always grown exotic plants. Um, yes. why, what, where did this, where did the passion for exotic plants come from? I'll tell you. So it goes, and I got a mine like a steel trap. It would have been about 1970 okay. and we were up on the sunshine coast. Cause mom and dad had a, you know where the sunshine coast is? Uh, I do. Yes. Okay, so mom and dad had a property up in Roberts Creek, just near Seashell, where they used to film the beachcombers right. back in the day. Yeah, yeah. So West anyway, um, I remember it was the grand opening of Trail Bay Mall, and that was probably late 1970, and they were giving away free plants, tropical plants. And I was about six years old, and I remember all these plants set out there, and I was allowed to pick out a plant, and I picked out a Schefflera, one of those tropical mm-hmm. umbrella plants. That was the first tropical plant I ever got when I was six years old. And you know what? I had it for over 20 years. And then when I moved here, I gave it to a relative. It grew into a tree in the house. But, you know, I've always loved palm trees. Palm trees has actually been my thing. Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll make a long story short. My aunt oh, you and don't have to. used to, go to Hawaii a lot. <laughs> right. And they sent us a postcard. I remember when I was a little kid. And it would have been around 1970, 71, probably 71. And it had palm trees all over, like coconut palms from Waikiki. Yeah. And I said, man, how come we can't, how come I don't see those around here? I was asked my parents as well. You got to live in a, you know, a warmer climate. And I remember I was, I was obsessed. I was just obsessed with palm trees. Like yeah. if somebody went traveling somewhere, did you see palm trees? Did you see palm trees? Yep. There was palm trees there. <laughs> and I remember seeing my very first palm tree in 1981, like, and giving it a hug in California when I drove down there when I was 17. <laughs> yeah. My buddy. And then I started growing them in the mid-1980s because I actually bumped into a 30-foot tall one in Vancouver. Really, no lie. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. So they were wrong. The naysayers are wrong. You don't have to have necessarily a warmer climate. You just have to be on the West Coast. Well, you have to pick the right species. Ah, There's over 2,800 species of palm trees, and you have to get the ones that are native to areas of the world with a similar climate to Salt Spring Island. That's the trick. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, and I did my homework. Yeah. Well, apparently. Yeah. That's right. Um, so, uh, I mean, we'll get we'll get into that because I know that you have quite a lot of palm trees on your property as well, and and I want to I want to sort of get into exactly what you've got growing there. But um, sure. Um, I just want I want to know. I mean, I was going to ask you what the appeal is over a regular house plant, more a more indigenous house plant. Uh, I think you sort of explained that, but I mean, I just want to. 
I want to talk a little bit about that that sort of visceral experience you had as a child when you you know you just saw the exotic plant and that's the one that you were drawn to. I'm sure at that point you probably didn't even realize that this plant was more rare than any other plant. But I think I mean I can relate to that. There are certain plants that you look at and you go, oh, that looks. There's something about it. It just looks so unusual, and it yes. just makes you want. It makes you want to to kind of hang around it and and have it more, <laughs> you know. And we we I don't even know what it is. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit because we have something here in in the city that I'm going to tell you about in a second. That that is that exact experience that people enjoy. Well, you know the thing is, there was a bunch of plants laid out in front of the entrance of the store, and it was in the mall. And Dad said, "You know what, Joey, Mom, and Dad were there. Those, those are free plants. They're giving away a free plant." I yeah. go, "Wow." A free plant. And, and I got to pick one out and you get to pick out this plant. It's going to be your plant and you're going to have to take care of it. Right. And I thought, this is cool. This is really cool. I'm like a six-year-old kid. <laughs> and I just remember lots of plants and they were in four-inch pots. They were tiny plants. But the one that drew me to it was the one with the big, glossy, shiny leaves. And that was the uh, Schefflera, the tropical umbrella plant. And right, as it yeah. grew bigger, the leaves got bigger. And it, it's like I see them in Hawaii and they're just absolutely magnificent. And that was the one that was, I like things with big foliage. That's what I'm, I'm a foliage gardener. Mm. I like evergreen stuff and I like plants to give the wow factor. So, you know, when you visit our yard, you're going to look and you say, wow, you know, you think you're gone 1500 miles south of where you should be because you're going to get the wow factor. Yeah. 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 No, I've, I've seen your yard in, in videos and it, and it is, I mean, you look at your back into your backyard and, and it's hard to believe that you actually live in Canada. <laughs> uh, so we have, we have a palm tree here in downtown Dartmouth, which is I not the it. same kind. Oh, you know, okay. Great. No, no, it's a, it's a, it's a tracky carpus fortuni. They box it in. I know yeah. the one. Yeah. Yep. Well, that, well, that's, that's the thing is that, uh, so I live maybe about a five minute walk from that tree and, uh, and they box yep. it in. Currently, I think it's still boxed in over the, over the winter. They have a very ornamental box that they put around it. Um, cool. We all find cool. that kind of funny because we're not used to seeing something like that, you know, having our, <laughs> our plants boxed in. Uh, nor are we used to having a palm tree available for us to kind of look at and enjoy. But it is, it's a real thing. Like it's, uh, people love yes. going down to this park and, and just sort of hanging out with this tree. <laughs> I mean, the, the experience that the people can get out of hanging out with exotic plants is, it's a, you know, I don't mean to harp on it, but it is, it's a real thing. This is something that, that people can really intangibly sort of tap into. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really amazing. And there's YouTube videos of it, Ian. I've actually seen oh. them where people, there was a couple of girls and it's a YouTube video they shot in search of the palm tree in, I guess it was Dartmouth. And then they're standing by it and it's, yeah. Because it doesn't look like it actually should be growing there, right? But it yeah. does. Yeah. So it actually gets people talking. And it's like, if you drive down into the West End of Vancouver, of Vanc- uh, you know, the, the Beach Avenue, there are hundreds of palm trees. The, the streets yeah. are lined with palm trees. So when you get visitors from other parts of the world coming to Canada and they're seeing, what? Palm trees in Canada? I, th- I thought there was igloos here. You know what I mean? It doesn't right. make sense. Yeah. yeah. But they That's grow. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's it's hilarious. <laughs> but, it's amazing. It is amazing. You know, Ian, yeah. excuse me, I think there's more than one palm tree in Dartmouth. Am I correct? Is there more than one Ooh, there? there? There could be. The one I'm thinking of specifically is just the one. It's a singular uh, in the park. Yeah, it's a tall one on in uh, the Sullivan's Pond Park. That's right. Uh, there could be more, though. There could be more around here. I mean, That's if a you, windmill palm tree. That's a Chinese windmill. Oh, okay. All That's right. That's what it's called. Chinese windmill palm tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's amazing. I mean, um, 
<laughs> you know, it, but it's it's just sort of harkens back to or talk. It, it sort of speaks to the fact that uh, uh, that this connection that we can have to to plants and trees and whatnot. It's 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 a thing that that uh, allows us. It, it sort of taps into another side of humanity. And I just don't mean to go into the weeds too much, so to speak. But I mean, yeah. when you, uh, I think some people recognize that when they when they go and they plant. Um, a tree like a palm tree in the middle of downtown Dartmouth where it doesn't make any sense for it to be there, but it adds so much to the community. It's, it's, it is. It's unbelievable. I, I just absolutely think it's great. And people will talk about it when they go to Dartmouth, they're going to get, and they see that palm tree. I guarantee they want to get a picture taken beside that palm tree. Yeah. Now, so how are they, how are they treating this, this palm tree? And I'm sorry that I, I live here and I'm not actually sure what exactly they, it is that they're doing to, to allow this palm tree to survive a little longer because it's not in its indigenous climate. It's in a, it's, yeah. in, you know, foreign soil, so to speak. Yeah. Um, what, what kind of care would have to go into a tree like that to, to allow it to survive a, a relatively harsh East coast winter? Okay. So the only place where palm, that particular species is Trachycarpus fortunae, Chinese windmill palm, can survive without winter protection in Canada is along the Pacific coast because the ocean here, it regulates the, um, the air temperatures in the winter. And, you know, along the Pacific coast, it's actually quite mm-hmm. mild in the winter. Even in the worst winters, it doesn't get cold enough to kill that particular species. But Ian, if you go farther inland from the ocean, the temperatures start to change where you're not feeling that regulating effect of the ocean. So in Mm. colder climates, I know people in Ontario that grow them and they box them in, they have insulation in the box and they have something they call a thermal cube. It's a heater. So they actually have heat, like a heat cable around it. So it's like on a thermostat. And when the temperature probably drops below minus seven or eight, that thermostat's going to kick in and keep that palm warm for the winter. And I'm guessing in Dartmouth, they might, have that you you know you'd have to mm-hmm. be there when they unbox it and see what they actually do like i'm sure it's insulated the box yeah and they must have a heat cable in there too yeah yeah, uh, yeah. it's uh it's an extraordinary length to go through for one tree when you think about it it is, <laughs> it is. yeah people go to great lengths to grow palm trees there was a guy in missouri i kid you not uh zone 6b in st louis and back mm-hmm. in the 1980s Early 80s, he started planting palm trees in his garden. Every year, he'd put scaffolding on them. Well, these couple of palms in his garden grew to 45 feet tall. Oh, my God. Okay, and I got photos of them. He right. sent me the photos back then, and he couldn't protect them any longer. And unfortunately, he had to watch them all freeze. And uh, that's the sad part about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, now, you live on Salt Spring Island, which, to be fair to the rest of Canada, is a pretty amazing place if you're going to be growing exotic plants and trees. It is. It is. Uh, in one of your videos, uh, you, you talk about a little bit about the history and, and some of the people who have introduced foreign exotic species. Yeah. Um, I heard you talk about uh, at one point there there were Hawaiians who traveled and settled there. Uh, Absolutely. On, yeah. And I wonder if maybe have there been people who have traveled, and I don't just mean in the last couple decades, but like people from quite a long time ago, who have introduced uh, plants and trees that maybe have sort of taken root that people think are kind of indigenous to that part of the world, but actually were, were brought over from another part of the world. Well, you know, you look at blackberries, the Himalayan blackberry, and they're oh, right. everywhere here. They're an invasive species, but they produce these super yummy berries. And, you know, people that really don't know a lot about plants just assume they are a native species. They were introduced... Yeah. Uh, via England from the Himalayas, Scotch, Cytisus, 
scotch broom, sorry, is everywhere, a nasty invasive species. I'm mm. sure there's some use for it. And and I was told, well, actually I've read, that it was introduced in souk in around 1852. A guy has planted a handful of seeds yeah. as an ornamental, right? As a garden ornamental. Yeah. And now it's like everywhere. Like broom, I don't know if you know what broom is. Do you know what scotch broom is? I don't. It, it produces beautiful yellow flowers. The bees absolutely love it. But one plant makes so many uh, viable seeds and every one of those seeds germinate and they'll sit dormant in the ground for a long time too. So, I mean, oh, years right. later, some of those seeds can still be germinating if the soil's disturbed. That's an introduced species, which some people move here from far parts unknown think, oh, that's, that's a native species, but it's not. And same with the gorse. And there's a lot of plants like that here. You assume because they've been here for 150 years, but they were introduced. And yeah. yes, the Hawaiians were some of our first settlers. The, the Black Americans and mm-hmm. Hawaiians came uh, in the 18, late 1850s. And uh, we have a lot of Hawaiians here today. I'm actually looking at a book uh, called The Kanaka, The Untold Story of the Hawaiian Pioneers in British Columbia, the Pacific Northwest by Tom Koppel. It's a really good oh, wow. book. Yeah. And it tells you about the Hawaiian history on Salt Spring Island and on our coast. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we were also talking before we started the interview here, we were, we were chatting a little bit about invasive species and yeah. uh, I want to talk about exotic plants and, yeah. the, and the beautiful things, but I mean, it is, it is also kind of part of the conversation too. I think it goes hand yeah. in hand here on the East it Coast. Does. We have something that we call gout weed that, uh, yeah. that really kind of takes over was, you know, probably with the best of intentions introduced as a, a nice ornamental ground cover. Mm-hmm. But now <laughs> I think I said, it's, if you've got it, your neighbors are just, you know, they're not, it doesn't make good neighbors. I'll they're just say cursing. that. They're cursing. They're cursing, cursing yeah. And dandelions too. Like dandelions yeah. that uh, we go out there. My, uh, my wife sees them in her sleep. She picks so many of them. Uh, just trying, wow. to, trying to get rid of them. There are so many around here, but also an invasive species, but has a lot of wonderful things to offer too that you were mentioning. Absolutely. Yeah. Use the leaves. The leaves you can use in your cooking. You can steam them, mm-hmm. eat them. They're very healthy for you. And uh, bees love them. Bees love dandelion yeah. flowers. But if you want a perfect lawn, Ian, yeah. you probably don't want dandelions in them. I, you know, they don't bother me so much. Actually, no. I'm not so... I, I've always sort of found them to be kind of you know, kind of lovely in their own way. But Same again, it's another yep. thing that like they, they can spread really quickly. And if you've got neighbors that don't want them, exactly. uh, you have to sort of look after that. There's a, you, you, you mentioned that they can be a substitute for coffee as well in some way. The That's roots what I've the- read in the past. The roots I can be a coffee substitute. And I've, yeah. I've read that and uh, look it up, check that one yeah. out. And uh, I don't think people use it anymore, but uh, back in the day they were introduced for, um, to be, to be used. Right. Yeah. And now they're just, yeah. Uh, now they're just a weed. It's like English daisies. They're everywhere. Little English daisies are everywhere here in the big ones. People assume those are native. They yeah. are. They were introduced and they were, they're weeds, but nice. I like them. I think they're beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so listen, can you tell me a little bit about the plants and trees you have growing on your property over in Salt Spring? Oh yeah, we have a lot of them, I'll tell you. So uh, we probably have about, uh, I, I bet you close to a dozen different types of palm trees, uh, wow. species. Okay. And, and it was pretty cold this winter, Ian. You know, yeah. uh, end of December, uh, you probably could see on the news how cold it was here out on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, we dropped down, I have two weather stations, and in the coldest part of our property, we have two acres down in the bottom, we had minus eight degrees Celsius. Right. And it's kind of funny, and it was short-lived. It was just one morning, it got down to minus eight degrees Celsius. We had zero wind. And we're fortunate here, we don't get any cold outflow winds. Okay. And that can be a big killer of plants, of yeah. exotic plants with the cold, right? Yeah. And, you know, I always get people coming up to me after a cold blast. Well, how did your garden do? How did your garden do? Well, you know what? Two days ago, I had a visitor here, a landscaper, 
visiting Salt Spring from Ontario, and he wanted to see he wanted to see our garden here. And he was absolutely blown away. So you really can't, you could never tell that we had minus eight degrees Celsius. Everything looks really hmm. good, like lots of palm trees. We have coast redwoods. We have huge coast redwood trees in our garden. Right. Um, a beautiful tree fern I planted uh, 28 years ago. From uh, It's from Tasmania. It's yeah. actually imported from Tasmania. And it's got about six feet of trunk on it now. And it uh, it's just absolutely the most amazing thing you will see. It, it does not look like it belongs here, but yet it does uh, grow here. And um, bamboos, lots of bamboos, which I'm sure you guys grow there. You mm. grow bamboo. And eucalyptus. We have yeah. a lot of eucalyptus trees. And uh, we had the biggest ones cut down uh, last year just because, you know, they're 100 feet tall. We have a, a, we have a and b here. And some of them were starting to drop branches without warning, and that's probably not a good thing. So, Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so we had to get those cut down. And uh, right now, you know, if you walk through the garden, there's a lot of things in bloom. At this time of year, we have camellias yeah. blooming, and uh, there's lots of different you – know, daffodils have been blooming forever here, mm. uh, rhododendrons. And, and I know you grow a lot of stuff there like that, too, because I, I know there's a nice garden near Halifax, a botanical garden. Yeah. I have friends live in, in Nova Scotia. Okay. I have a friend from Salt Spring Island that moved to Halifax about four years ago, and she loves it. Absolutely oh. loves it. All right. There you go. Clark's Harbor. I've got a friend that lives at Clark's Harbor. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so when you walk through our garden, like I say, it's, it's like maybe you're, you've walked into, you've stepped into somewhere where, way more south than where you should be. That's what it That's what it appears yeah. and that's what i want i like a garden that turns heads and they do give you the wow factor mm -hmm. the plants that we grow here and people do ask questions how do you grow this how do you grow that like yeah, we yeah. grow a lot of kiwi we grow pineapple mm. guava oh, we wow. grow which is uh, yeah we have loquat we have a huge loquat tree um i planted pomegranate two years ago and i just transplanted the other day in the shade figs lots of figs figs are easy here amazing there's a fig farm down the road from us there's there's an olive farm on our island too, a, a, a commercial olive farm. Holy cow! On yeah. the south end, they have they have two to three thousand olive trees. No lie. So it's on the south slopes, uh, heading down into the Burgoyne Valley, and they actually make olive oil. So there's a site you can go on on the internet, uh, Salt Spring Island Olive Farm, and mm -hmm. it'll tell you all about it. And they actually sell the oil they produce here on Salt Spring Island. Oh my god! Wild eh? So the oh my god! So the the continental breakfast that your your B and B must be just off the hook in the morning. Yeah, somebody wants a breakfast, Wendy. So, yeah, Wendy does make a really healthy breakfast. She tries to emphasize on healthy stuff. So, but yeah. uh, it is, it's a good breakfast if if you request a breakfast. Some people don't want breakfast, but if you want one, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah I bet. So, when, so on the odd occasion when the temperature does drip dip to yep. minus eight, are you, yep. are you starting to freak out a little? Are you like, oh my gosh, because it's a lot, it sounds like a lot of work, a lot of investment has gone into your property that you care a lot about. Are you out there with the hairdryer? Like, are, are you covering up <laughs> things? Like, you know, I, I, I know if I put that much work into it, I would be, uh, I would be very nervous about a, a sudden frost or a sudden dip in temperature. Well, you know, I'm not because I lived on the mainland before I moved here three decades ago. And where I lived in zone 88B in Langley, southwest corner of Langley, about 25 miles south of Vancouver, the winters were far colder. So the only reason I really moved to Salt Spring full time was to grow exotic plants better. So, yeah. no, actually, I don't worry. You know what I do? I get kind of get excited, Ian. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go shoot a YouTube video. So I go out there with my camera and I document, you know, if it's snowing. Or if there's a plant damaged, I will document it so people can see what's happening. So there's a few really wimpy plants out there mm. uh, that do get damaged or weeded out by old man winter every 10 to 15 years. But the hardiest ones 
survive. So basically, it is survival of the fittest in our garden. I don't, we don't really pamper anything. Even the palms in pots, we have thousands of them in our nursery. They're all outside. They've been outside there for decades and they're all perfectly fine. So, yeah. uh, you know, honestly, Ian, it does, at this end of the island, we have three growing zones here, 8A, 8B, and 9A on Salt Spring. Right. And this end of the island is one of the milder areas. So I honestly don't, I don't worry about it. I'm not out there with my wife's uh, wool uh, jacket uh, wrapping plants up. I just, no. I just kind of go out there with my camera and shoot a YouTube video. <laughs> ah, yeah. Well, that's great. <laughs> um, I mean, but like I said, it is, it's a lot of investment. It's a lot of time uh, that you, that you put into these things and other people probably want to, to share in that kind of experience. I mean, you help if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but you help other people decide uh, maybe on what plants that they can have and trees that they can have in their yard. I've seen some of your videos where you're visiting other people's properties. Yeah, um, I do. So what are folks saying when they, when they ask for your advice about what they want to, to have in their yards? What to plant where, or some people move here and they've seen my videos and say, you know, we want to plant some palm trees. So it was funny last two weeks ago, Somebody messaged me, says, you know, they're, they want they're, the lady selling a couple of palm trees. And the palm trees came from me years ago. And she didn't want them because they were getting too big. And I said, the palm tree can never get too big. I, I messaged her. I said, the palms look beautiful in front of your place. But she was adamant. She wanted to get rid of them. So the people hired me to show them how to dig them out. And then I, and then I followed the one couple home and I helped them plant it. And they were just so tickled pink to have this palm tree in their garden. But yes, I do landscape uh, consults. And I'll go to people's places and tell them what to plant, where, you know, if they got a sunny spot, you know, I look at their soil, if they got a shady spot, are they in the wind, you know? And uh, so, yes, I do help them out. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you ever get a client who says, you know what, I really just want to have this plant and it's just absolutely not appropriate. And do you ever feel the need to kind of push back and say, listen, this is, you know, as a plant lover, I cannot abide. I can't stand by while you go ahead and plant this beautiful plant in a place where it's just simply not going to survive. I used to do that. Like I worked at a nursery here many moons ago and, you know, somebody, you know, a customer would come in and they'd say, you know, I, I really want this Mexican orange or I want this. And I'd always ask them, I said, what part of the island do you live in? And they say, why does that matter? And I says, actually, it really does matter because if you live down in a colder area salt spring and you do get you know you get some of these colder temperatures in the colder winter that plant could potentially uh, get heavily damaged or killed and they didn't know that they just assumed living on this island which is 16.8 miles in length yeah. it's the same all over well it's not it could be minus four here and minus 10 or 12 somewhere mm -hmm. else at the same time so yeah i do ian i do uh you know, may suggest something else for them if they live in, a, you know, in an area where that plant might not survive because yeah. it's just a waste of money, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's yeah. and it's a waste of life as well. I mean, these plants, it you, you, you want to see this plant go to a good home and have a great life. Absolutely. And so I do get a lot of people that come through the nursery here. And, uh, you know, I do have uh, palms. I got seed from colder areas. I, we planted some palms in a guy's garden 30 years ago in a colder area southeast of Vancouver. I don't know if you know where Cloverdale is. Mm. And these palms are 25 feet tall now. They were seedlings oh, wow. we planted. 25 feet of trunk. They're big. And they yeah. sell seed like weeds. So now the offspring is hardier than actually the ones on Salt Spring. So if somebody lives in a little bit cooler area, then I suggest, you know, if you want a palm tree, try one of those from the Zone 8A area. It'll work good in your spot. So that's what I do. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And do they harden as well? Like this tree that is now... 
you oh, yeah. know, 25 feet. It has, there's not much you can do for it at that point unless you no. get out there with the scaffolding, but it has, it is hardened to that climate at this point. Well, you know, I talked to my friend after the cold snap and like about a month or so after the cold snap. And I said, and he's got some big palms in his garden. The yeah. biggest ones are probably close to 30 feet. And I said, how did your palms do, Phil? And he said, not even phased. And it was colder wow. out there. They're around minus 15 degrees Celsius. And even the seedlings, he says, Joe, the soil on, under the palms was frozen, crunchy. And there's hundreds of palm seedlings growing there. He says, did not even phase them. Wow. So they've totally acclimatized, adapted to his growing zone over the past 30 years. Isn't that pretty wild? Yeah, that's incredible. Yep. Now, yep. I suppose you, do you have to be careful when you're introducing exotic species into new environments? I mean, obviously you do. I mean, what are, what are some of the problems that, that, that maybe you've encountered or, or that you sort of advise people when, when they want to start, that they see your videos and like, oh, that looks amazing. I want to go out and get some exotic plants as well. And are there things that people should be aware of before they start planting these plants? So most plants that gardeners grow are introduced species. And, you know, I've given talks hmm. to the garden club in the, in the past there. And if it's not a native plant, then it's an exotic plant. And, oh, you know, okay. I point out into the crowd of the audience, I said, each and every one of you is an exotic plant grower. And they kind of look at each other. What, what do you mean? We're, I'm not an exotic plant. Well, if you grow petunias, you grow tomatoes, you grow apple trees, you grow Japanese plums or rhododendrons or camellias. Those yeah. are not native to here. Everything right. that's all been introduced. Lilacs, for instance. And I, and I remember I had a lady come up to me one time when I was mowing the park because I used to work for the parks department. And she says, Joe, you're the guy that introduces all those exotic plants that don't belong here. I says, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then I start, and then, you know, she's talking to the wrong guy here. And I said, you know, do you grow? And then I, I started listing a bunch of plants that she's probably growing in her yard. She says, yeah, I grow that. Yeah, I grow that. And I says, and where do you think those are native to? I told her, I told her exactly where they're all native to. She goes, I, I didn't realize. That. I says, yeah. I said, you're an exotic plant grower too. And you know what? I, and then I said, and, and then she says, you know, some plants are invasive species. And, and I said, yes, some plants are invasive species. But I said, the most invasive species and destructive species on the face of the earth is man. That's what I said. And I says, those plants wouldn't be there if it wasn't for man. They're the ones that introduced it, right? Like, serious. If you look at you look at the the big picture, man is the most invasive species. I don't think a plant is. That's the way I see. I love all mm -hmm. plants. Yes. Some plants probably spread a little bit faster than others, but we don't grow those in our garden. Ian, the plants that we grow in our garden are not going to take over Salt Spring Island. Yeah. Uh, people are really afraid of bamboo. And mm. if you have really, really good soil, there's some very uh, fast-running invasive species of bamboo. But, you know, I live on a rock here. Wendy and I live on this rock. We have a few pockets of good soil, and I planted the bamboo in there. And it'll spread in that area. The bamboo that I planted, aggressive spreading bamboo, timber bamboo, in a rocky area, has been in that area for 30 years, and it's formed a tight clump. It has not moved. So it's a myth, right? It's not going to take over your yard yeah. or garden if you live in poor, rocky, dry soil. It just depends on your growing conditions, really. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there are... So you have that conversation with people and they're still yeah. like, okay, well, we still want to spice up our yard a little bit. Uh, <laughs> what, what should they be thinking about first? I mean, not all plants and, and trees will grow in every location. So, I mean, it sounds like knowledge is the key. Do your research. That's what I say. Do your homework, plant yeah. a palm. You can't grow wrong. That's what I always say. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Ian, exactly. You have to do your homework. And then when people look through our garden and, and they're like, we get a lot of visitors, like we have a B&B, &B. we have people from all over the world stay here. Lots of people from Ontario, we get them from Nova Scotia. Can I do that back home? Can I do this back home? And I says, you got to do your homework. You got to, first of all, you know, look at your growing zone, look at your minimum temperatures. And yeah, there are some really cool plants 
you can grow in cooler areas, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to be growing everything we grow here on Salt Spring Island. The climate is completely different than Ontario, you know, and you know, Ian, I ship a ton of palm seedlings and seeds to Nova Scotia. I ship Mm -hmm. palms on eBay and on, uh, and seeds on eBay and, and even just not even on eBay, people just privately contact me. I want some of your palm seeds. So there's one girl, God, she, she's in uh, Halifax. She's got hundreds of my palm trees wow. growing and uh, okay. in pots. And yeah. she's planning on planting some outside, but they're going to need some help, right? They're going to have to be uh, protected. But uh, yeah, yeah ton, tons of palms and seed I ship to Nova Scotia. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so listen, I've got, to, since I've got you right here, I, I yeah. have a couple of uh, questions about plants and, and, and trees that I have on my property that I, cool. I want to ask you about. So, sure. um, we have a, we have a beautiful Daphne bush in our, in our backyard. Oh, nice. And, uh, we were given this Daphne bush when my daughter Daphne was born and oh, cool. in our previous home. So we just mm-hmm. moved last year and hey. I dug up the Daphne bush and brought it over to our home. And I did it as carefully and thoughtfully as I, as I could. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was, that was just at the beginning of the summer last year. It seemed to fare pretty well, but here's the issue is that over the winter, it got covered with snow mm-hmm. and the kids are jumping off the back deck into the snowbank. And one of the main branches has now broken off and we, we've, we've tried to tie it back together, but mm-hmm. what are we, what are we looking at here? Joe, is, is it a Daphne or a lilac? Is it a Daphne? It is a Daphne. It's a Daphne. It's a Daphne. So is it a deciduous Daphne? Does it lose its leaves like a Daphne Miserium? Yes. Okay. And it gets really nice purple flowers on it? It should, but it yeah. has only flowered, I think, uh, maybe maybe once. So it doesn't flower all the time. We planted it maybe not in the best areas in both houses. So there, it gets far too much shade, I think. Give it some fertilizer too, but is the branch completely broken off? It's it's still attached a little bit, so we it didn't break off completely, but it broke down all the way to uh, to the soil line. So we have sort of put it back yeah. against where it was and tied it together, hoping that maybe the graft would would. Uh, sometimes, would sometimes it does. It'll always be a weak spot there, and if yeah. the graft does hold, it will fuse together. And I've I've done that with plants too. Okay, I would say if you know you could look at it now, and if it's too severe of a crack and it's still you know, kind of separated, you may want to clip it off. But uh, mm. if you get another snowfall, it could it could break it, right? I mean, how big yeah. is the bush? How big is the Daphne? Oh, it's not very big at all, actually. It's it's maybe uh, two feet off the ground. It sounds like Daphne Basarium. So, I yeah. mean, you've done the right thing. That's what I would have done too. Okay. I would have actually fused it together, hoping that it would have kind of grafted together and maybe it has so yeah it's probably not leafing out yet is it it's not it hasn't flowered yet no and this is the big thing is that this this time of year on this part of the country we're we're not starting to see bloom just yet so uh i can go out and see if there's any buds maybe starting to grow but it's still a bit early so if it is gonna butt out and it might be a little bit later and then maybe it's good to go maybe okay just, just leave the thing alone and because and if it doesn't, you know, you can always take your uh, secretaries and scrape the bark a little bit. If it's green underneath the bark, then yeah. there's still life in it. That's what you ah, have to do. Okay. All right. That's that's what you do to a plant. If you're not, if you're if you're kind of unsure, it's like, is that dead? I mean, like you say, it's still early in that part of the world. Scrape it a little bit. Nick it a little bit. Oh, there's green underneath there. Oh, it's still alive. And then it's going to butt out for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good advice. Good advice. Yeah. Um, go. We also have an avocado plant in our home. Oh, nice. Yeah, we're very we're very happy with that. We uh, the the thing I love the most about this avocado plant is that it, the way it communicates. 
if it gets a little bit dry, its leaves go very droopy very yes. quickly. And then yep. you give it a little bit of water and like five minutes later, you can actually see the leaves start to rise up again. They're it's, amazing. You grew it from seed, didn't you? Uh, it was given to us actually. So I think the person that gave it to us did grow from seed though. Yeah. So you can grow them from seed easy. I'm the type of guy, if I eat like a, a, an orange or an avocado, I can never throw the seeds out. I always have to mm. push them out somewhere in the garden. And yeah. I absolutely drive my wife crazy with avocados right. because every time I eat an avocado and we eat a lot of them, I push them into the garden, the seeds. So then she's got these avocado plants coming up everywhere where she doesn't want them. And uh, <laughs> they, they, they will let you know if it's a mild winter or a cold winter. So if it's a really mild winter, they actually will go through a winter or two until you get a really bad frost and it'll kill them. So right. I've had them survive a couple of years in the garden here. And I do have one in a pot. And like you say, when it gets too dry, the leaves do droop. And if it gets drier than that, well, then they'll start to turn crispy brown. So when they right. droop, give them some H2O. Yeah. 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 And will they eventually uh, yield an avocado? Like, is there a difference between an avocado plant and an avocado tree? Avocado tree. Now there's a guy here that moved up from California and used to grow a lot of them down there. And he says, Joe, in order for it to produce faster, he said something about grafting it onto uh -huh. a rootstock. So I'm not too sure. Like I've had one in a pot for years and it has not produced anything. It's not even flowered. There's a girl, there's a lady here that has a hundred foot greenhouse full of citrus and avocados growing in the ground. It's unbelievable when you walk in this greenhouse, uh, Jane, and she gets avocados on her avocado trees in this massive greenhouse. And like I say, everything's planted in the ground. Yeah. She gets, um, um, she has uh, lemons, limes, uh, grapefruits and all different types of oranges and avocados in this greenhouse on Salt Spring Island. It's unbelievable. Wow. That I have sense. videos of it. I actually have YouTube videos of her place. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to bore you with one more of our favorite, <laughs> one of our favorite uh, living plants in our home. And that's the, yep. uh, that's the orchid that we have in our bathroom Whoa, nice. of all places. And, uh, and it, and it flowered for the longest time. And then yep. like orchids do it, it dropped all of its flowers. And I, I don't know, I want to say, I don't want to say dormant because it's still alive and it's still, yep. it looks great, but it is a little more sticky then it was. It just looks a little more like a stick with leaves, but it will mm -hmm. bloom again, right? I mean, it is absolutely. Yeah. So what you have is a phalaenopsis. Phalaenopsis, or I believe they call it a moth orchid. Um, we have it growing in our windowsill. So yeah. they bloom for a long time. They come in different colors. There's pinks, purples, whites. Mm -hmm. So it's a long. Leaves are at the bottom. Then it's got a long stem, right? That's right. Yeah. So when it finishes blooming, you go down the stem to the first node. So there's little nodes on the stem. Yeah. And you cut it. Uh, above the nodes, cut it on an angle above that little bump. And then that's where it should send out another uh, stem when it's going to bloom the next time. It'll send it out of that, that node. Oh, and really? the key is not to overwater those orchids because yeah. they can rot really easy. Yeah. Uh, they like humidity and they do like to be kept warm. We have orchid outside. There's native orchids here in the, in, on Salt Spring Island. Oh, okay. There's, yeah, yeah. There's the phantom orchid. There's the spotted coral root. And then there's another one, Lady Slipper. But we actually have a Cymbidium growing outside, two of them in pots that stay out most of the winter, except for the coldest blast. I brought him in, but one of them has a huge flower spike on it. And actually, I think I'm going to do a YouTube video of that one today so you guys can see it. It's there. Yeah. Uh, Cymbidium is a more cold-hardy orchid, but still not. I mean, it would never survive the minus eight, but it can yeah. stay, take light frosts. And it's absolutely, they're amazing. So, wow. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that I should be cutting that off uh, when the flowers drop. 
Yeah. So go down the stem from the top down and you'll see the first bump or the first node. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've always done when I worked in the garden shop is just cut them just above that. And then they would, uh, and then they'll, when they, when they're ready to send out another, uh, stem, they're going to send it out of that node. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Oh, fantastic. They're beautiful. Yeah. Um, so are there any, are there any dangers that people should be aware of when they, when they bring exotic plants into their homes? Um, I'm thinking specifically about pets or, or children. Again, this comes down to do your homework and knowledge is key, mm-hmm. but, uh, are there things that you see people maybe getting themselves into trouble with because they, they just buy something that looks beautiful, but they don't really understand how harmful it can be. Well, there's a lot of toxic plants out there, Ian, and people have pets and small children. So yeah, I would say do your homework. So you're going to go to the garden center, you're going to see a beautiful Diefenbachia, which is they call the dumb cane. Hmm. And uh, it might be a dumb thing to bring it into your house if you have small kids. They're beautiful, nice, big tropical leaves, but but they're poisonous. And there's a lot of other plants like that too. And people, you know, they look at them, in the, in the, like I say, in the garden shop, and that's the one for me because I love that plant, but they haven't done any homework on it. So I would say, you know, if you have small children or pets, you don't want toxic plants in your house because, you yeah. know, little kids are like, and, you know, sometimes pets chew on things, but kids are more apt to put something in their mouth they shouldn't, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say do your homework or ask the people at the garden center, is this is this toxic to children? Is yeah. this toxic to pets? Because even plants out in our garden, we have a lot of toxic plants out there, but, and I taught my kids from a young age, you don't ever put anything in your mouth, you shouldn't, you come and talk to us. They were good. Our kids were good. They grew up yeah. around the plants and they were totally fine. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, you spent, and your kids have as well, spent a lot of time outdoors tending to trees and plants. I mean, I want to come yeah. back to the connection. Uh, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the podcast, but mm-hmm. I mean, as someone who has sort of done this almost in your entire life, I, I wonder if maybe it's something that you even really think about anymore, but that connection to the land when you're out there with your palms, uh, do you do you take a moment and go, this is uh, really an amazing thing? Or, or is it just so ingrained in you now that it's just kind of part of what you do? You know, I never take it for granted. I, yeah. and, and that's, that's the one thing, even moving to Salt Spring Island, it's just like the beauty. It's just amazing. Like I'm living here and I'm growing palms. Like, and I think to myself, okay, I'm living in Canada. None of this stuff should really be surviving here. And, and I even <laughs> said that in some of my YouTube videos, I'm, I'm standing here looking at a 20 foot palm tree in our garden. It's like, I'm in Canada. Come on, palm trees. <laughs> so I never take it for granted. And I, and I say, my church is outside with nature and I'm really, yeah. I'm, I feel at peace when I'm out there working in the nursery. I'm sitting down potting stuff up. It's just, I find it so relaxing. And like I say, I worked at a garden center for a decade. Then I went for the parks department for 19 years. I was a gardener slash maintenance guy for the parks department. It's something I love to do. And I just, now I'm retired. I retired in October, November, and I just applied for a job at a, a big, uh, I'm going to say cannabis farm down the road planting. Okay. Uh, right. And they're going to call me in a couple of weeks. And that's what I'll be helping out with is planting the outdoor crops. And to me, it's just a plant. To me, it's yeah. just another tropical plant. And it's something I like to do. And it's just, uh, I'm excited to do this just a couple of days a week to uh, kill a little bit more time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun. Is there an exotic plant or tree that you, you haven't gotten around to growing yet, but it's on your bucket list? Oh, absolutely. It's called Yucca Rostrata. And they grow here very well on the uh, yucca rostrata. Okay. It, it's a trunking yucca. It's, it looks like it belongs in the desert. Well, it does belong in the desert. It's extremely cold hardy. And, you know, I had my hands on one at a Palm Society a barbecue one time about a decade ago. 
but I walked on the ferry. I didn't have my vehicle there and the guy was selling them. And I says, you know, I'll get it next time I'm over here. Well, guess what? The next time I'm over there, it was over there. He had sold them all and he couldn't get any more. I was like, oh, oh yeah. why didn't I pack it with me, you know, on the ferry? <laughs> right. So, And that's the thing when you live on Salt Spring, to get back and forth or off the island, you have to take a ferry, right? So yeah. that right. can be a bit of a pain sometimes. Oh. So. <laughs> Joe, this has been fantastic. Uh, I, I've I've learned more than I thought I possibly could, and I feel like there's so much more that I need to learn as well. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Well, Ian, thank you for uh, letting me be on this podcast. It's been a pleasure, and I tell you what, if you're ever on Salt Spring Island, look us up. I will send you home with a handful of our palm seedlings, okay? I promise you that. Whoever visits our place leaves with palm seedlings. There's no doubt about that. Well, that sounds amazing. And that sounds like a plan. I have to make it to Salt Spring Island. So uh, we'll make it happen. And thanks for watching my videos. I appreciate that. too. No problem at all. I encourage everyone to do the same. All right. Have a great day. All right. Thank you, Ian. Take care. Connected to the Land is a PV Industries podcast produced by Village Sound. And I'm your host, Ian Sherwood. A special thanks to this episode's sponsor, PV Mart, the 100% Canadian-owned, down-to-earth retail chain. If you enjoyed this program, you should consider subscribing. Also, you can check us out at connectedtotheland.info, our affiliated website and a great resource for homesteading, farming, and all things connected to the land. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.